But I'm going to invite Grace to come up to the front now, and Grace is going to read from us, for us from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Thank you, Grace. Today's passage is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's games. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand from then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of rightness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take a helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and play in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, word may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare in fearlessly as I should, because the dear brother and faithful servant in the road will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am standing, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brother and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. Thank you. Did you know that uh, we're having a disagreement with France at the moment? Ah, the dispute arose when Australia decided to back out of a contract, not just any contract, a $90 billion contract for new submarines. The French ambassador, the French ambassador left Australia this past month in protest at Australia's decision. How important is it to choose the right weapons? Governments spend a lot of time thinking about that decision and uh, a lot of money making sure their weapons are fit for the purpose that they're required. Well, aside from just catching you up on political news, uh, my uh, story has relevance for today's passage. Weapons are important. This passage talks a lot about weapons and battle. Do you ever feel like you're in a battle? 
that you're having to defend yourself against your workmates, against members of your family, against even strangers. It can be tough. Actually, this passage shows us that we are in a battle, confirms that we're in a battle, but how we fight and how we experience this battle is different to how the world fights. So we're following a bit of a military theme here, and so it's right to think about this battlefield, the logistics of this battlefield. The first important step in preparing for a battle is knowing the enemy understanding the battleground, and and that's where Paul starts too. Let's have a look uh, at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 10 is big. God is your strength. But when Paul calls on his readers to be strengthened, is that something they do or is that something they receive, right? It's something they receive. They are strengthened. When the flood is coming and it's at the front door, we don't just hope that our door will get stronger. No, we strengthen it. We put some big sandbags around it and we strengthen it. The door receives strengthening. It's not up to the door to become stronger. It receives strength. And so too with you. The door is strengthened by the addition of extra strength. You, in God's army, on the battlefield, are strengthened by receiving God's strength. God provides his people with all the strength that you will need. One of the most important parts of understanding the landscape of the battleground is knowing who the enemy is. It's kind of important to know which way you should be facing when you're fighting. Take a look at verse 11 and you'll see who the enemy is. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see who the enemy is? It's the devil. This might come as a bit of a surprise, so Paul reinforces that in verse 13. You may be able to stand on the day of evil. Oh, and actually verse 12, my mistake. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. No, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers authorities and cosmic powers of darkness against evil against spiritual forces in the heavens the enemy is the devil and his forces it's a spiritual battle submarines aren't going to be of much use now when i say a spiritual battle you might be tempted to think that it's oh it's not real it's a bit airy fairy these spiritual forces are real They're not content with just the death of their enemies. They're they're intent on dragging souls away to hell. The devil is intent on denying God the glory that is due to him. The devil is intent on embarrassing God by weakening his forces and denying his glory. 
when is the battle weakened? When, is, when are we weakened? We are weakened when we are tempted and give in to temptation to lie, to cheat, to hate, to do anything less than love our neighbour. Because all of those temptations have a spiritual cost, even if they might in some way assist you in the physical world. Lying and cheating might get you more money. It might get you more friends. But you begin to lose the spiritual battle when you give in to temptation. Because this is not a physical fight. This is not about your standing on earth. This is about your standing in the spiritual realms in this spiritual battle. And if we succumb to the devil, God's kingdom suffers. The Ephesians reading this might also have had a physical battle in mind. They might have been getting ready for, as you might recall, us talking about the enemies in Ephesus, the worshippers of Artemis, the business people who uh, may have been losing business and might have wanted to come and burn the church down or um, take these people to court, or even the Roman soldiers who might have wanted to make life tough for the Christians and very much did make life tough. And maybe you think your battle for God is against non-Christians, is against followers of another faith, is against governments and secular organisations who want to bring down the church. Well, that's not how Paul describes the battle here. They are just physical representations of what's going on in the spiritual realm. This is a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, against spiritual powers. A spiritual battle is against the devil. His strategy is to weaken. We are weaker when we ignore God. Weaker when we ignore the spiritual realm. Weaker when we ignore what God has commanded for us. So what then is our job in the battle? Are we going to be uh, firing on the enemy? Are we going to be storming strongholds in behind enemy lines, digging trenches, uh, a united cavalry charge like the olden days, loading ammunition? It might be a bit much if verse 13 is anything to go by. The job of the Christian is that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, that is prepare, you'll be able to stand. To stand, to stand firm. It's, it's that simple and it's that complex. Four times in the passage, Paul calls on his people to stand and stand firm, to stand their ground to stand for God, it's not much of an activity, but it's in keeping with what the Bible tells us elsewhere. Psalm 46, that great battle psalm. What is the command for the, the army? Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. And Exodus 14, 14, Moses tells the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you today. You need only be still. 
We are to stand in this spiritual battle. To stand, to stand and to stand firm. Have you seen those British palace guards who stand all day, every day? You might think that that job is a pretty boring and low interest uh, role for uh, one of the um, lower troops who maybe got punishment. No, no, that is one of the highest callings of the soldier. The elite soldier does it because it is so difficult. Standing your ground, standing firm is tricky. That's just physical standing. What about spiritual standing firm? Being unmoved, being unshaken, being undistracted, untempted. Holding your ground is tricky. I can only give you more physical examples. Ask a soldier who's had to defend a barracks or a township to just hold firm. Ask a security guard who's been told, don't let anyone in the building tonight. How do you even do that? Stand firm. There's a few extra tips in this passage. We'll get to it. But it's not as easy as it sounds. We go back to verse 10. Be strengthened in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is where our strength comes from. We do the tricky work spiritually through the strength that God gives us. Because I know, like me, you're reading this passage and you're thinking, I'm going into battle? Where am I going to get this strength? You may not be equipped if you don't rely on the strength that God gives you. And what else might we need to know about a battle before we fight it? Well, it's good to know when the battle will happen. You don't want to be caught polishing your shoes and not wearing them. Verse 13 continues, For this reason take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. In the evil day. That seems to be the time reference. Paul is telling people the evil day. But Paul is also telling people to take up their armour now. So it seems it's, it's now, if not soon. And back in Ephesians 5, Paul says the days are evil. They are already. We are in the evil day already. So when Paul says in the evil day, he's talking about the current time. My take on this is that the evil day is any day where you feel tempted, weakened, tested. When you felt the, the pull of evil strongly, and you've had a choice of to whether to stand firm or whether to give way. Have you had a day like that recently? It could be any day. Pete reminded us about this last week, the temptation to uh, break communication and relationship in your family. The temptation is any day. To uh, break down the proper roles of a, a worker and his boss. The temptation is any day. As Scott reminded us the week before, there'll be a day when your resistance to foul language, to alcohol, your resistance will be tested. And that is a spiritual battle indeed. It could be any day when you feel that pull. The evil day could be any day and I put it to you that any day turns out to be every day. 
Every day we feel this pull. Every day we are attacked and distracted and if we're not careful, dragged away and enticed. And we don't even notice that we've been defeated and God's kingdom has been weakened. That's the devil for you. That's the devil for you, distracting and weakening. But take heart. Your success on the day of battle today, it depends on the strength that God gives you. It's God who gives you the strength. You're in a spiritual battle and you need God-given strength. One of the most tragic examples of mismatch in a battle was the first time the machine gun appeared on a battlefield. It's arguable as to exactly which battlefield, but one of the first, if not the first, was uh, in Africa in 1893. A group of 6,000 men holding rifles and spears and armed with the element of surprise busted into a camp of just 700 defenders at 2.15 in the morning intent on smashing that camp. That's a 10 to 1 numerical advantage and likely most of them were all, the, 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 the would-be victims were asleep. But they were no match, these 6,000 men, against the Maxime machine gun which had just been rolled into the camp. The attackers lost 1,500 of their 6,000 men in the first couple of minutes the so-called battle was over because the rest fled. I'm not making any comment about who was right. What I'm saying is it's about who is better prepared for battle and weaponry makes a big difference. So what weapons will we get to use? Spiritual bazooka? Spiritual grenade launcher? Spiritual submarine? Verse 11 says it's the full armour of God. God owns the armour and he is giving the Ephesians everything they need to take part in the battle. The second key to battle readiness is having the right weapons. But remember, it's not for fighting people and it's not, it turns out, for attacking. Our battle is spiritual And our role, remember, is to stand firm. So we get the armour that allows us to stand firm. Through verses 14 to 17 now, what weapons can you name? Belt. Belt. Belt of truth. What is the truth that Paul is talking about? It's the truth of the gospel. A belt keeps everything together and so does God's truth. God is God. There is no other. Judgment is coming. God provides salvation. That is the truth that determines everything you do in the battle. Don't believe those who say, you have your truth, I have my truth. No, you have the truth. Stand firm with the truth buckled around your waist like a belt holding everything together. Uh, Next weapon? Breastplate. Breastplate. What's a breastplate? It's like an armour-plated shirt. 
or a tunic, like a bulletproof vest, if you will. Now, you might be thinking, I don't have enough righteousness to make a handkerchief, let alone a bulletproof vest. But who's providing you with this armour? Are you fashioning it? No. This is God's armour coming to you. The righteousness comes from God. It's not your righteousness. The righteousness comes from God. Just like Romans 5, we are recipients of God's gift of righteousness in Jesus. God's righteousness acts like a defensive bulletproof vest in us, guarding our heart from any fatal blow. Are you putting on Jesus' righteousness in your life? Have you ever arranged to pick someone up and you turn up at the door and they're not ready? You turn up, you knock on the door, and out they come and they're not wearing shoes. Well, unless you're going to the beach, but if you're going to a concert, a restaurant, hiking, you don't even have to ask, are you ready? Because they're not wearing shoes. Shoes equals readiness. Uh, Even more so when you turn up to training, whether it's the footy or the ballet, and you've forgotten your shoes. There's no point going out. You turn around and you go back and you get your shoes. Shoes equals readiness. So verse 15, your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. If your job in the battle is to what? Stand firm. Shoes make the difference. Good shoes is going to be really important and these are good shoes. They are built on the foundation of the gospel of peace, which is the good news of Jesus Christ who came to bring peace to us. Peace and end to hostility between us and God. Isaiah tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is consistent with the Old Testament. Beautiful feet are adorned with the gift of God's gospel, the gospel of peace. Next weapon, shield, shield of faith, verse 16. Paul goes so far as to explain how it is to be used. In Roman times, there were two shields. You might recall from old pictures, there's the little forearm one which you see in the movie Gladiator where, or you know, in the Colosseum where they're out parrying and blocking. That's not the one he's talking about. There's the bigger one, which I think is also in the movie Gladiator, but is a big one that will cover the whole person and you can shelter underneath it or somewhere, and it'll protect the whole person from arrows, from distance attacks. In fact, the, the, the shield that Paul is talking about was able to be dipped in water, it must have weighed a tonne, so that when the army fired flaming arrows, the shield would douse them on contact. That's what the devil wants to do. He likes to fire flaming arrows at us, create little spot fires around us so we take our uh, eyes off God, forget what our role is and start running rather than stand firm. But no, 
Stand firm, Paul says, and like a shield, your God-given faith will keep you secure and douse those flaming arrows of the evil one. Next weapon. Helmet, helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? It protects the head. God's promise of salvation means we can be sure in our minds that we are on the winning side. Don't feel defeated. You are on the winning side. Don't feel harassed and harangued. You are on the winning side. How much easier is it to stand firm when you know that you're on the winning side? Uh, It would be ridiculous if in the last days of a war, an army unit decided actually, yeah, no, we think we might go and fight for the other side, the losing side now. No, you are not to do that. It's ridiculous as you think about it. Stand firm, hold out. The reality will become true in the physical realm. It is true in the spiritual realm. God has won the battle. We know God has won the battle. We know that was significant for Paul because Paul says earlier in Ephesians, I remember preaching on it, that God has already accomplished his purpose in Christ. Already accomplished. The victory has been won. That's why your role is to stand firm. And as they say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Embrace the salvation that God has won for you. Put on the salvation that God has won for you and allow it to guard your hearts and minds and head. Uh, Next weapon. Sword. Sword of the Spirit. This one is probably the closest we get to an attacking weapon. But what does it look like? The sword we bear is the word of God. Paul seeks to remind you that the way you block or defend yourself in close combat, parry the thrusts of the enemy, is with the word of God. Now, you remember when Jesus was in the desert and he was being attacked by the devil and the devil was jousting, thrusting, tempting. How did he respond? He faced the same enemy that we are facing now. And how did he respond? Jesus went back to God's word and responded with that. You don't need to come up with a new or mystical or complex or physical way of defeating the devil. You need to use the armour that God has already given you. It's God's job to defeat the devil. Your role is to stand firm. What does that mean in practice? Know your Bible. Be in the Word of God. Have it like a sword at your fingertips, in the palm of your hand. Because a sword is no good if you can't hold it. A sword is no good if you're not currently holding it. Um, It's just a minor digression. Uh, When you're in basic training in the military, you never put your rifle down. You eat with it. You dig with it. It's always there. The weapon is always in your hand. If you put the word of God down, you are doing yourself a disservice. If you put the word of God down at any time, do what it takes to have the word of God 
at your fingertips, better still, in your hands, better still, in your heart. That's how you hold the sword that, of the Spirit, the Word of God, in your hands. All these weapons are God-given and they're not used for attack. They're used to stand your ground and stand firm because that's what God requires of you. You're in a spiritual battle. You need God-given strength. This passage shows that you are given what you need to stand your ground on that evil day, which is today. Another factor important factor on the battlefield is communication. Can you imagine what would happen if you were on the battlefield, probably at night, and you couldn't speak to your commander, couldn't seek direction, couldn't know who was around you? You'd be flying blind, shooting in the dark, or worse still, engaging in friendly fire and in the light find out that you've caused more damage than good. Put simply, you'd be dangerous without proper communication. And on the spiritual battlefield, communication is key as well. That's why Paul devotes some time here to prayer. Your communications device in the spiritual realm is prayer. In verse 18, Paul urges you, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Four times, all, all, it's it's grueling. Four times, all requests, all occasions, always keep on praying, pray for all the saints. There is a lot of praying to be done here. And did you notice that it's not just a physical activity, praying? He, he, it's almost tautologous. He says, pray in the Spirit. You can be naming names and saying words and look like you're praying, but it's not flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. Prayer must be in the Spirit. Uh, what's the practical example? You can pray while you're watching TV, but... If you're watching TV, it's pretty hard to be praying in the spirit. You can pray while you're falling asleep, but if you fall asleep, it's pretty unlikely that you've been praying in the spirit. Because you need to keep alert. That's what Paul says. Now, I'm not saying you you can't be praying in the spirit and also fall asleep. I say that if that's your just go-to. You really need to think about what is my focus in this prayer? Is it just a physical ritual that I carry out when I wake up before I go to bed? Or am I praying in the spirit like today is the battle day and I'm praying for my life? Because I'm going to need all of God's help to stand firm today. So if you can't focus in prayer... Move to a spot where you can focus. You see, it appears that praying, standing firm and staying alert are the constant activity of Christians on that evil day, which is today. All times, 
all kinds of requests. Always keep on praying for all the saints. All the saints, that's not Mary, by the way. Saints are those who are in God's kingdom. That's you. That's me. Put simply, in this battle, God's army and all of his people are to be bathed in prayer, receiving uh, the benefit of prayer and contributing in prayer in the spirit in this battle. Now, if I'm to pray all kinds of requests for all of God's people, all times, on all occasions and always keep on, I need more hours in my day. But I don't have more hours in my day, so I need to restructure my day and my priorities so that prayer becomes the priority. Because I'm in a battle and I need time to pray and focus and I need time to be able to stand my ground. It's why we found it useful this past month to go through a habit-forming exercise of praying for each person in the church. Some of you found that helpful. Some of you found that helpful to be on the receiving end of the, the, the benefit of the prayer and others to be praying. Paul says prayer is important. It's important to pray in our church because Paul here, bringing us God's word, says that it is important. Uh, but the great thing about this uh, spiritual battle is that you don't even actually need to be physically fit to, in, to be useful and effective in this battle. I know of some people who can't do any physical work. I'd never ask them to stack chairs or even um, stand up and lead up the front. Yet what they do is pray, pray and pray for you, for me, for us, for God's kingdom. These people are so important and even more so when we face that evil day. But it's not like Paul says the job of prayer is just for those people who have a gift for it. Actually, God's gift is to the Christian and prayer is an important job and a duty for every Christian. So it might be time for you to spiritually exercise your prayer muscle. Start putting it to use. In verse 19, Paul has a particular prayer request in mind. He wants prayer for me, himself. Pray also for me. It shows how important Paul thought prayer was. It's not like he just said pray because that would make God happy, which it does. But in addition to this obedience, Paul saw that prayer actually helped people, helps people like him. And so the last part of making sure we're prepared for battle is putting people into roles where they can be of help. In verses 21 and 22... Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so you may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and he may encourage you. Paul is sending Tychicus out to be of help to God's people. And then Tychicus is coming back to be of encouragement to Paul. There's an identical verse in Colossians where Tychicus is sent out for the same purpose, not just to the Ephesians, but to the, Colossia, to the Colossians, and uh, to Thessalonians, where Timothy is sent out for this purpose. Paul is sending up prayer 
and sending out support, using God-given strength to stand firm in the face of spiritual opposition. This verse is for you too, even though Paul is sending Tychicus, you should be considering how you can be of use in God's kingdom. And finally, peace. In verse 23, Paul ties off the battle theme with this beautiful benediction. He proclaims peace. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Peace is what we want in the battle, right? We want peace. We long for peace, but not just fake peace, not just laying down our arms and letting the enemy walk over us. We want the peace that comes from everything being put right. Real peace. When all wrong and sin is dealt with and all injustice is addressed, real peace. The peace that Paul wants for the Ephesians is real peace. It's why he's been talking about it all the way through this letter. Chapter 2, Jesus is our peace who puts an end to hostility. Chapter 4, peace comes through unity in the spirit. That's the peace that God has made for you. This peace that allows you to stand without fear, without rivalry, without challenge knowing that you are on the winning side and the fight is over. You need only stand firm. That's real peace. Uh, That's not to say that Christians aren't at risk of death in the physical realm. Remember, we're talking about a spiritual battle. Paul reminds us of the risk when in verse 20 he describes himself as an ambassador in chains. He was a representative of God's kingdom, an ambassador, yet he was in jail, facing death. And yet from his low position, he was one of the most notable ambassadors for Christ that we've seen. Representing Christ and making known the mystery of the gospel to all those around him. And so... It's fitting that he'd conclude this letter by saying that he is an ambassador for Christ. It's true for you too. You're not just a soldier, you are an ambassador representing God's kingdom in this foreign country. As for that French ambassador, well, he was allowed to return this week. You're happy to learn he's coming back. Coming back to Australia, it turns out the French need someone to represent them in a foreign country. And so too, you are representing Christ in this foreign land. Which is why you must stand firm, praying and staying alert. And take heart that you're on the winning side because Christ has already accomplished victory. Because God gives you everything you need to stand firm on that evil day. How about I pray for us? Father, thank you that you give us everything we need to stay strong on that evil day. To stand firm. Lord, I pray that we will stand firm against temptation today. 
I pray that we will stand firm against temptation this week. Lord, help us to stand firm, to stay alert and to put on the full armour that you give us to the glory of your kingdom. And in Jesus' name, the name of the one who has won the battle, who has already accomplished everything for us, we pray. Amen.